Well, good morning. My wife and I are very glad and thankful to be here at Central Church. It's been an honor just to be uh, a part of your Christmas season. So thank you for letting us be here. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible and find the book of Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we will read through verse 38. In verse 26 it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you that we get to come this morning to gather and worship, sing songs of praise to you, to celebrate the Christmas season, to open your word. And Lord, we believe that this is your very living and active word that we are looking at and listening to. And so I pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My wife and I were married in July of 2006. We had our first child, our son, in August of 2007. So if you do your math, you go 13 months ahead, you know that uh, pregnancy lasts nine months. We had about four months of marriage before it was announced that we were having a baby. This was not according to our plan. This was quite the surprise. I remember the day I was at my office at the church at Schilling Farms just down the road. Amy came in. She said, I'm pregnant. And it was the surprise of all surprises. And I remember thinking something to the effect of, already? It just didn't take long. And that was not really how we planned it, but it was how God had planned it. And so we were surprised with our first child. Now, with our daughter, our second child, she was born January 2011, and her situation was different. She was not much of a surprise in the same sense. As a matter of fact, we had really been trying for a little while to have another child, had gone through a couple of miscarriages, eventually became pregnant with Lily Claire. And so when we found out we were pregnant with her, 
there wasn't so much a sense of already, it was more a sense of finally. We had been waiting for her longer than we had planned on. Again, things had not really gone according to our plan. And now we find ourselves waiting for a third child through adoption. We've been waiting for about a year and a half. And when we finalized that process, I can tell you that it wasn't my plan to be waiting quite this long. And so we find ourselves asking the question, how much longer? How much longer? So with all three of our children, none of it went according to our plan. We found ourselves wondering either already or finally or how much longer. And here in this passage this morning, we read about a baby announcement where on one side of the coin, from Mary's perspective, it was the surprise of all surprises for her. She very well may have found herself saying, already? She was young. She was a young teenage girl. And she was already going to have a baby. And yet, on the other side of the coin, from the eternal perspective, the world had been waiting for this baby boy to come for so long. God's people had been wondering, how much longer, Lord, until you fulfill the promise of the Messiah? And in this text that we will focus on this morning, God is saying, finally, the time has come. All of redemption history has been moving towards this moment when God would send His Son, and He is ready to usher this into history, and Gabriel is coming to make the baby announcement of all baby announcements. And so what I want to do is sort of, let me give you a map of where we're going. We're going to break this text into four sections. We're going to look at the setting first. In verses 26 and 27, then we're going to look at the announcement that Gabriel makes to Mary, verses 28 through 33. Then we're going to hear his affirmation to her in verses 34 through 37, and we will finish by looking at her submission to this announcement. So the setting, the announcement, the affirmation, and the submission. First, let's hear the announcement. Look at verse 28. Excuse me, let's look at the setting first. Verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is Luke painting the setting for us. And one of the things I noticed as I was studying this passage over the last few weeks is that he paints such a specific description. He gives a specific time frame. He gives us specific names. He gives us specific locations. He tells us it's the sixth month. This is not the sixth month of the calendar. It's not June necessarily. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We won't take the time to read through it, but if you look back through verses 5 through 25, you'll see that Gabriel has already been sent on a mission to announce the miraculous birth of a baby boy. He tells Zacharias that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby, even though they were way too old to even fathom that possibility. It's in the sixth month of her pregnancy where Gabriel is sent on another mission. Very specific time frame Luke gives us. Then we see Luke gives us these specific names. He names the angel Gabriel. Gabriel is sent 
to a woman named Mary who's engaged to a man named Joseph who just so happens to be a descendant of David, King David. Now, if you read through the Bible, there are plenty of portions of Scripture that gloss over lots of details. There's lots of summary sections. And so we know when a passage of Scripture slows down long enough to paint specific detail like this, there's a lot of significance that we can extract from it. And I want us to note that. Luke is painting a very specific setting for us. He even gives us specific geographic locations. This angel Gabriel is sent to the region called Galilee. And not just that, he gets more specific. He's sent to a city in Nazareth. It's a little village. To call it a city would be uh, really almost inaccurate. It's a little village, and that's where Gabriel was sent, this specific place. Not only does Luke get specific He also shows us that this is an intimate setting. I want you to think about this from Gabriel's perspective. Gabriel is an angel that remains in the presence of God. He shows up in the book of Daniel a couple times. He's in the presence of God. From from his perspective, he has way more than a bird's eye view. He has like an astronaut's view of the earth. If you know those pictures from from space where you see the earth all at once, he's got that kind of view of, of earth. He's been with God. He's in heaven. And he goes from heaven all the way to Nazareth. In John chapter 1, Nathanael asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's that insignificant a place, and yet Gabriel is sent from heaven to Nazareth. He's sent from the very presence of God to have a very appointed conversation with a young teenage girl named Mary. She might as well be the Nazareth of Nazareth wouldn't have been looked on as a very significant person probably. And yet God sent his angel to her. This is a very intimate setting Luke is painting for us. It's a precise, personal, and powerful moment in time. And we need to be ready for the fact that what Gabriel has to say to Mary is going to be massive. It's going to be huge. And so let's listen to his announcement in verse 28. And coming in, Gabriel says to Mary, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now before we go on any further, let's notice that Mary is given an identity by Gabriel. He calls her the favored one, the graced one. She's one that has favor and grace in the presence of God. She has this special identity ascribed to her, and she also has some perplexity. The way Luke puts it, she's very perplexed at this statement. She kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. I would say Luke's putting it mildly. Let me remind you, angels were not cute, cuddly cupids that we may think of that come and sit on the shoulder or come in and visit, shoot little arrows. No, angels were terrifying, mighty warriors. When an angel showed up, grown men fell to their face in fear. 
And this angel arrives and speaks to Mary. And Luke just says, Mary pondered what kind of salutation this was. I imagine she was freaking out a bit. An angel is in her bedroom. And let's see what he says to her. Here's what I want to do. I want to walk through this promise and I want to soak it in step by step. And I want you to imagine that you're Mary, around 13 years old, and this is what you hear an angel say to you. Look at verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb. So you're Mary, an angel shows up, which is enough to try to register and process, and the angel tells you, you're going to have a baby. You're going to be pregnant. Then he goes on and says, you will bear a son. In that culture, that was an extra significant announcement to have a son. Then he says, you shall name him Jesus, which is a version of the name Joshua, which basically means salvation. So this angel shows up and tells Mary, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be a boy, and you're going to have, you're going to name him Jesus. This name means salvation. As one commentary put it, it's almost like the, the cry, Lord, help. His name means salvation. And this is what Gabriel is telling Mary. He says in verse 32, he will be great. Now, every parent loves to think of the fact that their child is going to grow up one day and have a great, significant life. Mary has just heard this about her child. And up until this point already, things have been a little crazy. And yet, Gabriel keeps going, and he kicks it up another level. Let's keep reading in verse 32. Not only will he be great, look at this. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He keeps going. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So now Mary has to process what she's hearing. She's going to have a baby boy. She's going to name him Jesus. He's going to be great. Then Gabriel tells him he's going to have a nickname, the son of the most high. That's how great he's going to be. And he's going to reign on a throne. He's going to be a king and not just any king. He's going to reign on David's throne throne, and Gabriel calls David his father. We're going to see more on that in just a moment. Gabriel in verse 33 goes on to say, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He's going to be the king of Israel forever. And just to tie a bow on it, he finishes hammer hitting the nail. He says, and his kingdom will have no end. So here we have young Mary in her house, minding her own business, doing whatever a 13-year-old girl would have done in that day. And an angel, Gabriel, that angel, this Gabriel, the one who made Daniel fall on his face, appears to her And he tells her this. This is a heavy, heavy moment in history. What I want to do is try to add a little bit more weight 
Don't worry about turning there, but in 2 Samuel, King David, this is almost a thousand years before Mary came along. King David has finally successfully brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God among Israel. And he's got the ark back, and one day he's thinking that that he wants to build a permanent house for the ark. Up until then, the ark had lived in the tabernacle, basically a tent. And he has this desire to build a permanent house. In 2 Samuel 7, you can read all about it. God eventually says, no, that's not the plan. I'm going to build you a house, David. In other words, I'm going to build you a dynasty. And what I want you to do is hear what God tells King David. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning of verse 11. This is a prophecy and a promise that is unfolding before Mary's eyes a thousand years later. It says, The Lord also declares to you, this is to David, that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who shall come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Do you hear the echoes that we have in Luke chapter 1? Let me add another one to this. Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6 and 7, very famous Christmas passage. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. When Gabriel entered Mary's house, it was this baby announcement that he was giving to her. A central church, I, I cannot tell you enough how thankful I am to be here with you this morning. It has been one of the big highlights of my Christmas season to know that I would be able to come today and that I can remind you who this baby is. Look back in your text, verse 31. He is Jesus. He's your Savior. He is your salvation. That's who this baby is. He is the Great One. He is the Son of the Most High. He reigns over Israel. He will reign forever. And I want to remind you, His kingdom will have no end. And it will also have no limits. The Bible tells us that He will be king over people from all nations, all people groups, all languages. That's who this baby is. And here's what I want you to do. And if you, if you need to close your eyes, do this if it will help. I want you to imagine the next eight days. Now, for those of you who haven't picked up on it yet, you've got eight days until Christmas. And imagine what you're going to do from now until then. 
students, if you're still in school, you're going to count down the last two days or so until Christmas breaks. Adults who are working, you're probably counting down until you have a few days off. You're going to load up in a car, or maybe some of you will even board a plane, and you're going to go visit loved ones, and you're going to give Christmas hugs. And you're going to stuff stockings, and you're going to wrap and unwrap gifts. You're going to drink hot chocolate. You're going to drink apple cider. You're going to eat turkey or ham, pies and cookies. You're going to go looking at Christmas lights. You're going to sing Christmas carols. You're going to go wonder where the elf is. You're going to put a glass of milk by the fireplace. But are you going to celebrate your king? I plead with you, Central Church, over the next eight days, keep celebrating King Jesus. When you're singing the Christmas carols, think about them. Savor them in your heart. Worship Him. When you're getting ready for the Christmas Eve service, don't just focus on what you're going to wear. And trust me, I know the struggle. My wife and I were spending quite a bit of time thinking about what am I going to wear. You got to have the classic look, then you got to have the contemporary look, and it's Christmas time. So we were in my bedroom and we got to, I know what it's like to focus, and I thought, I've got to make sure I'm worshiping Jesus. He's the king. Worship Jesus. Go ahead and wear your good Christmas stuff, but make sure you celebrate Him. Parents, over the next eight days, Tell your kids about Jesus. Tell them yourself. Tell them personally. Don't let the Christmas movies do it. Don't let just the church services do it. Don't let just the Christmas carols. Tell them. Point them to an ornament on the tree or point them to a cross in your house and make sure they remember why we celebrate Jesus because he's the king. And when Gabriel came to Mary, he came announcing that the king was coming. And I want you to ask yourself, how are you going to respond to this announcement? Well, let's see how Mary responded. She needed a little affirmation, which is understandable. Look at verse 34. I love this question. Matter of fact, before we read it, I imagined this. Now, I'm, I'm not a lady, so there's only so much I can imagine here. But I have imagined how I would respond if I was Mary. And the most articulate response I think I could have had, the best response I would have had would have been, wait, what? That's just probably as articulate as I would have been. I love how Mary responded. It's so quaint. It's so intimate and simple. Mary says to the angel, verse 34, How can this be, since I am a virgin? It is a common sense question, and I love it. And it's actually a funny comparison. We won't go back, but if you go back earlier in the chapter, Zacharias asks the Lord when he's told they're going to have a baby, he asks them something similar, but there's a difference. He's doubting it. He says, how am I going to know this for sure? That's not what Mary's asking. Mary's just asking Okay, Gabriel, I, I get what you're saying, but how? I, I don't know a man. She needed a little affirmation. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, probably the most profound statement he makes in the whole conversation, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. God's power and spirit are going to fall on Mary. 
In Exodus 40, when the tabernacle's finished, the glory of the Lord falls on and fills the tabernacle. In Matthew 17, when Jesus takes some of his disciples up to what we would call the Mount of Transfiguration, eventually the glory of the Lord overshadows them and falls on them. In a very similar way, Gabriel's telling Mary, the power of God is going to surround you. The Spirit of God is going to indwell you, and your baby will be the Son of God. Listen, Central Church, you may need to be reminded of this. We do not worship a God who just stands aloof and steps back from His creation. No, we worship a God who infiltrated creation in the mess that it was in, in its sin stains, and He sends His very Spirit into Galilee, into Nazareth, and into Mary's womb to redeem his people and to show his love for the world. He is the Son of God. And in case Mary needed a little bit more encouragement, verse 36, Gabriel says, Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And I love verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. It literally says, for every word from God is not impossible. I wish, I wish our translations could show the connection because it will make a connection in verse 38 as we'll see in a minute. But he says, Every word from God is possible. And I can't help but think some of you need to be reminded of that. Every piece of God's word is true. It's possible this Christmas season. You need to be reminded that God's word will come to fruition. If God says it, it is not only possible, it is done. And if you're sitting in here and you're saying, I don't know, Michael, you're telling me that God is having his baby boy in a Virgin Mary, that sounds pretty ludicrous. You know what? I understand that. It does sound pretty crazy, but it's true. Because we're talking about God. Or you may be saying, look, I just don't know that Jesus is who God's Word tells me he is. I don't know that Jesus did what the Bible tells me that I want to tell you it's true. This book centers around Jesus Christ. He's the very epicenter of the Bible, and he is the fulfillment of God's truth. Or you may be sitting there saying, I I believe that. I just don't know that Jesus is really willing to be my Savior. You may say, look, Michael, you don't know the mess I've gotten myself into. You don't know the problems that I've caused. You don't know what I'm up against. God's not paying attention to me. I don't know that Jesus really loves me. I want you to know it's true. Jesus is willing to be your Savior and your King. And how do I know it? I know it because of what He did. If you go driving around at night looking for Christmas lights, which I like to do, you're going to see every once in a while in the front yard, you're going to see a manger next to a cross. I came here fairly late last night to do some praying, and I noticed y'all have one right outside this door. There's a manger next to a cross. Now, the people who are putting those in their front yards, they're reminding passers-by that this baby who came as the fulfillment 
of God's long ago promises also came as a baby to begin his plan of redemption. And that baby would live the life that you cannot live without sin. He died the death that you and I deserve because death deserves the pun- or sin deserves the punishment of death in the face of a righteous and good God. And Jesus paid that penalty on the cross. He died for you. That's how much he wants you to know he's willing to be your savior. He went on the cross for us to redeem us from our sins. He came out of the grave. He has ascended to the Father. And just like Gabriel could announce to Mary that the king was coming, I can announce to you the king is coming back one day. And that's how I know he's willing to be your savior. He's going to come back and gather all of his people. You may simply need to be reminded that God will fulfill his word. Now I want us to look at this last verse. I want us to see Mary's submission. She submits to God's plan. Before we read it, I want to read something else to you. I want to read a couple of verses that may have been bouncing around in Mary's brain as she's hearing this amazing announcement. This comes from Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 and 24. Mary may have recalled this in this moment. Listen to how shockingly familiar this will sound. This is a law in God's word. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because she has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. And Mary could have been listening to Gabriel saying, oh, I know how this is going to look. This is not going to look good. And this is not going to end well. But in spite of that, look at what she says in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. That is submission to the plan of God. She looks Gabriel in the face, and she says, look at me. I am God's servant. Let it be done to me what you have just said. Let God's word be done to me. I can't help but notice how familiar this sounds to what King David said all the way back in 2 Samuel 7. After God tells him what he's going to do, just listen to this. 2 Samuel 7, verse 25, King David says, Now therefore, O Lord God... The word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. How familiar is that to Mary's submission? And I love the way this story ends. The last sentence in verse 38, it says, And the angel departed from her. I could not help but notice that he doesn't say anything else. He leaves in silence. If you'll forgive the pun, it's a very pregnant silence. Everything that needed to be said has already been said. He came and he announced the coming of the king, the ultimate redemption of the world. That stage is being set. There's nothing else that needs to be said. God's son is coming and Mary is ready to receive him. And I finish by asking you, 
Are you ready to receive the King? I want you to know that it has been done according to God's Word. And it will continue to be done according to God's Word. The Son of God came, born of a woman. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. He has ascended to the Father. And He will come back. So this Christmas season, I plead with you, praise Jesus as the Son of God. Submit to Him as your King. Identify yourself as His servant. And let it be done in your life according to this word. Let's pray. God, I pray that even now your Holy Spirit, who indwells your believers, will continue to do his work among us. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus, and we proclaim him and praise him as the Son of God and the King of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords even. God, I pray that there are people in here who need to be reminded that it will be carried out according to your word. And I pray for those who came in not believing that they may feel in their heart your spirit overshadowing them, falling upon them, that they would repent of their sin and proclaim you as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word and for being faithful to carry it out. We are your servants. And may you continue to do to us in our lives according to your plan. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.